Hey, Jenny! You're going to be a bit nicer there. Hello, Journey Church! Hey, um, I am so pumped to be here today. How good is this? You are the real Christians. You are the ones that went, it's raining outside, let's pray for the first service and come to the next service. And so you are like the real Christians. Hey, it's so good to be here with you. As Pastor Josh said, we're in a bit of a transition for me to come over and be the pastor at Boynton. And so hello to all my amazing Boynton family. Uh, but I get to meet you today. See, how good is it? Um, I talk in a funny accent. I'm really sorry. I'm just putting it up front now. Um, I'm born in South Africa. I lived in Europe. I'm married to the hottest person on the planet, this New Zealand princess. I worked with a bunch of Aussies. And so my accent's really weird. And so I'm going to be talking. I might even be talking American today. Y'all. Like, that's, that's like my favorite American word. It's like y'all. It's like I don't have to say you all. It's just y'all. And so I might even put a little bit of American in there. So, but I am pumped to be here today. And I just want to put another disclaimer out. I do spit. So this is like the anointed zone. And the splash zone, we call it sometimes, other than the anointed zone. But it's good to be here. Hi, um, if you're new today, welcome. Welcome. So pumped. Um, come next week. There won't be somebody screaming at you and talk as loud as I do. But um, I talk fast because I have a lot to say about Jesus. You know, we can turn up today and it's been raining. You would have grabbed your umbrella. But when you walk into a house like this, sometimes something can feel a little bit different. I don't know if you've ever felt that. And maybe this is your first time and you go, man, these guys, they sing and they stick their hands up and it's all a little bit strange. But all that is part of the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I feel it. I feel that the presence of God is here. And so my confidence this morning doesn't lie in my ability to be able to communicate, but my ability to be able to listen to what God wants to say, not what I am going to say. But I know that God can speak through His Word exactly what you need. Do you believe that? Come on, I'm pumped. I love my Bible. Anybody else love their Bible? I love it. I love it. And so um, we're going to be unpacking Genesis 50 a little bit. Now, Genesis 50 um, verse 20 is probably one of the most famous kind of scriptures around in the Bible, but especially in Genesis where Joseph says, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned to something good. But we're going to ramp up to that. We're going to start in verse 14. We're going to lay it up. We're going to paint a real pretty picture about it and then really believe that God's going to lay a truth out of this passage of scripture for us today for us to walk out of that door with something that we can take home that God spoke to us today. I've got confidence in that. I know that there is people here today that you need God. See, I'm coming off that stage. I'll stand here and I try and, you know, do what I do. And, but I know that I don't have what you need. But I know that God has what you need. Come on, turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 14. Uh, After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all others who had gone with him to bury his father. Now we have to pause there for for a moment. Now, Joseph, this is a big crowd. So they're going to bury his father. There's about, uh, there's about 70 people just in his extended family. All his chariots went there. So there's a whole group of people that went there, but it's about to get real personal. Everybody say personal. Come on, you're here. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? 
Here we go. So then they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. They're lying. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs that they have committed in treating you badly. They're lying. Now please forgive me these sins of your servants of God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. He didn't weep because of his father's death. At this time, his dad's been dead already three months. And the way we know that is because there was about 40 days of embalming, 30 days of mourning, and about 10, 11 days journey there and 11 days journey back. He's weeping because his brothers is deceiving and lying to him again. Many years have passed. By the time we read Genesis 50, 40 years have passed from that they sold him into slavery. So he was 17 when his brother sold him into slavery. When we pick up this, he is about um, 56. So 40 years have passed and they still haven't changed. Are you hurt by somebody that's maybe hurt you a long time ago and they haven't changed, but yet they still haven't changed their countenance? And I'm gonna give you some real keys to what Joseph did. It's getting good in here. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said, but Joseph said to them, and here we go, don't be um, afraid. I am in the peace of God. I'm sorry to keep telling you to do this, but it's really important. But Keith, please repeat after me. I'm in the place of God. So important for us to notice. Um, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then they don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and reassured them um, and spoke kindly to them. We're going to go back to verse 18. His brothers then came and, and, and threw themselves before him. We are your slaves, they said. Everybody say, there is freedom through my knees. There is freedom through my knees. I'm going to unpack this to show that one of our spiritual Christian things that we do, and if there is chains to be broken, if there is things to be overcome, it can be done through our knees. 1908, there is a group of missionaries that set off to South Africa. These missionaries had a real heart to go to South Africa and tell people about Jesus. But more than just telling them about Jesus, they wanted to tell them about the Holy Spirit. And so I know now if we want to go to a place, we go Google, put it in, and then we go. We know kind of what we're going to go to. We know the flight we're going to go to. We know what cars we're going to have. You know, you've got it all sorted. Just put yourself back, 1908, if you got called to go somewhere where you have no idea, you really had to be called by God. These missionaries set off, went on a boat, went to South Africa. And by this time, South Africa was about uh, 250 years old, so that had some development to it. But a lot of the people went from the coasts inland because they discovered gold. So there was all these prospectors and all these people were coming all the way from all over the world because they found out there was gold. And so all these people would travel up north, and there was a man by the name A.P. Fisher, and A.P. Fisher, like today you'd go to a car dealership to get a car. Back in the day, you'd go to a 
horse dealership to get a horse. Um, that's how you got around. And so A.P. Fisher was a very prominent man. He had a big business. He had lots of horses. And so if you wanted it as transportation, you'd go to A.P. Fisher and he will give you a horse. And so the army would go to him. Prospectors would go to him. And so these missionaries went to A.P. Fisher to the dealership to get themselves a horse. But something powerful happened. As they went in and started talking to this man, they started telling him about Jesus. And the more they told him about Jesus, this man's life radically changed and he encountered God and he started telling everybody about Jesus. Anybody that came in, anybody in the town, a lot of people knew him. And as more as he started telling people about Jesus, because he was telling them about Jesus, people started persecuting him. They burned down his stables. They killed his horses. And A.P. Fisher got left with one horse. And he had a decision to make. He had a decision to make. He's either going to flee or he's going to take this revelation that God is real and he wants to use us. And he started traveling from one town to the next, to the next, and started churches all over South Africa. And today it's become part of what is known as the apostolic faith movement. It is still one of the strongest denominations in South Africa. Thousands of churches have been planted because a man decided, an event took place, but he made a decision that he's going to choose purpose instead of pain. See, it's very, I want to use this slide. Um, our position is determined by our decisions. Our position, I'll say it again if you didn't hear my accent, our position is influenced by our decisions. Is there any parents in the house? I'll just explain this maybe a little bit here. Any parents? Now, your position as a parent is very different to the position as your children. So the decisions that you make as a parent is very, very different. I often would call my mom and say, Mom, I am so sorry. I was a really bad kid and I didn't listen, but it was a different perspective. See, my kids, they switch the light on and off, on and off, on and off because they don't have to pay for it. The decisions that I make to tell them to not switch that light on and off because I have a different position because I have to pay for it. Now, I can't expect my kids to have that position because they've never been parents. They've only been kids, but let's flip that thing. Or just before I go there, we can do the same with our money. Our position of our money influences the decisions we make. And I'd love to pause it for a second. And I would really almost urge you to not judge people too quickly because of the decisions they make in their financial decisions because of the hurt that they're going through it or the pain they go through. And so often I hear people say, oh, it's not about the money. We don't care about the money. You say that when you have money. But when you don't have money, those decisions, the position that you're in really, really changes the decisions that you make. Sometimes you have to make drastic decisions to get finances. And we can judge people for getting maybe where we were a long time ago. I also remember when I started off in ministry, I've been in ministry for about 20 years now. When I started off in ministry, the pastor that took me in and developed me, um, I used to go and like, man, why would you make that decision? That's just weird. Like, you kind of make notes of it, man. That's strange, that's strange, that's strange. But then after a while, I became a pastor and was leading a congregations. And then all of a sudden, my position made me have different decisions. Let's switch that a moment for a moment. Our decisions influences our position. We'll use that money thing again. Our decisions influences our 
position. And the way we know that is because of what if you were to make different decisions maybe 10 years ago financially, would you have been in a different position? The crazy thing about money is, I'm not talking about money. I promise I'm not talking about money. The crazy thing about money is most of our decisions every single day is made through the lens of money. I'll prove it. The place you live, the car you drive, the type of petrol you throw, petrol, that's one of those words, sorry, gas, gas. Like the other day I said, let's go just park in the car park. They're like, car park, parking lot. Gas station, petrol station, I say petrol station. They throw the gas in. The type of gas you throw in, the type of clothes you wear. Most of your daily decisions is filtered through the filter of finances. So is it possible that those decisions that you make on a regular basis influences the position that you're in? I'm gonna unpack Joseph's life a little bit real quickly. This is like a quick summary of him. This is like a real snapshot. There is so much. I wish we had like three weeks to talk about Joseph. He really is one of my favorite dudes to study in the Bible because there is so much. As I've just explained to you, by the time we read about Joseph in chapter 50, he is 56 years old. So there's a whole lot that's happened and sometimes we don't understand that all these things that we hear, he had a whole lot of brothers. He was the favorite son of um, Jacob's um, favorite wife, Leah, uh, Rebecca, and Leah, um, the not-so-favorite wife, had a whole lot of other sons, and these sons didn't really like Joseph because Joseph had a pretty little coat because his dad liked him. He had like a little Gucci coat, and he was all, you know, he felt like he was the bee's knees. And, and he had this dream. Joseph had a dream. A lot of you would know Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream that his brothers would kneel before him. So he thought, I had a dream, I should tell my brothers my dream. He's young, inexperienced, he goes to his brothers and it didn't go well. He said to his brothers, I had this dream that all of you one day will bow in front of me with my pretty little coat. Didn't go well. So his brothers went, okay, you, you little snitch, we, we don't like you. You're the favorite of, the, of not our mum. And so because your, our dad likes your, your mum more than our mum, and so we're just gonna put you in a pit and then before they kill him, one of his brothers said, no, let's not kill him. And so then they say, let's sell him. So they sold him into slavery, he went to Egypt, went to Pharaoh's house, which was the palace, was the king. And he went to Pharaoh's house and he served in Pharaoh's house. Now, a whole lot of things happened there. He came in as a servant. He quickly got elevated into the, like, the top part of the, the palace. And the reason we know that is because he has an encounter with Pharaoh's wife. Now, to be able to get there, you had to be one of the prominent servants in the house. So he goes to, uh, or Pharaoh's wife sees him. She says, how you doing? And then she wants him, and then he doesn't want, want her. He runs away, and then she accuses him of um, wanting her, but he didn't want her. And so then he gets put in jail, and then he spends time in jail. We actually don't know how long he's been in jail. There's some theologians believe anywhere up to 12 years in prison. And so while he's in prison, um, one of the other prisoners, um, one of the cupbearers came to him and said, I had this dream. I had this really funny dream. I had this dream about grapes. And then with the grapes, there was one grape that I ate and it was really nice. And, and um, Joseph says, that's really cool. You know, in three days, you're gonna be released from prison. You're gonna go back to, you're gonna be reinstalled as a, a cupbearer. And uh, the grapes talking about Pharaoh's um, celebration, which was in three days. And then the baker goes, me, 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 me. I had a dream. I had a dream about a basket of bread. And then the, the birds came and the, and the bread fell. And then the birds ate the, the bread. And then Joseph goes, yeah, you're gonna be killed in three days. In three days, your head's gonna be chopped up. That's resembling the bread that's gonna fall and the bird's gonna come and eat your body. 
That's Josephus' life. Many other things are happening, but isn't it crazy? Each one of these things were chains of events that happened, and he had to make a decision out of these events. Today is an event. Today is an event. The decision that you get to make is, am I going to turn up believing that God can do something? Am I going to turn up and praise God? You also the spiritual ones because you might have turned up because there's like Miami is playing the Jets, the Dolphins are playing the Jets, and so all the snowbirds are down, so they are all gonna they're not at the next service, they're at this service. And so, but I have seen some of you celebrating the dolphins. I have seen some of you and know some of you that the way that you celebrate, the decision that you make to celebrate, cheer, scream for things, is there's a decision around an event, but this is also an event. And it really, I find hard sometimes to understand that we're in the house of God, but still it's so hard for us to sometimes sing the songs that we are singing. But yet you can sing in your shower. Your wife will tell you all about it, those voices. But when we're in the house of God, we're not singing to whoever's standing on the right of our left. We're actually singing to God. So regardless if you can sing a tune or not, it's an event. We get to make decisions. We get to make decisions. Our position influences our decisions, and our decisions influences our position. I love this scripture, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. It's such a powerful scripture, but yet it's actually a lot harder to really grasp. Because I know there's a lot of you that are dealing with some crazy things right now. There's maybe some abuse in your family. That maybe there's a death in the family. Maybe some financial hurt. Like there's a whole lot of stuff that you are dealing with, and it's so hard in the midst of these seasons to sometimes go, How 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 God? How how are you going to turn this? into that. I was part of a church in London and um, we had about two and a half, it was a two and a half thousand seat auditorium, smack down in the middle of London in this amazing theater. And um, as I said, we had a pastor that kind of saw something in me and he developed me. And the first time I ever had a chance to be on stage was we had a guest speaker come in and then um, our pastor said, hey, at the end of this guest speaker, once he has spoken at the end, you can come up and you can do like the clothes and you can do what we would call an altar call. You tell people about Jesus and ask to make their peace with Jesus. So that was my moment. I'm like, yes, woohoo! Yes, Sunday's coming. I'm going, that's good. And all week I'm preaching to the squirrels and the ducks and everything. And it's like, man, all the ducks are flying around even more holier. It was just like awesome. I get to Sunday and had this line prepared. You know, I don't know what you've done, but God does. And Jesus loves you. And that was my line. That was my line. I was going to build it up. And then it didn't matter who's been there. Like, you're just going to, everybody's going to get saved. It was going to be such a powerful moment. And we had four services. So I turned up on the Sunday. And the first three services, average would be an overstatement. I'm sorry. It wasn't that great. It was like, blah, 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 a little bit of blah. Like, it wasn't that, my words wasn't that clear. Anyway, I get to the last service, and this was like the pumping kind of youth, like rowdy service. And I'm like, just tonight, this is going to be awesome. I'm like, yeah, psyching myself up. I'm like, it's so awesome. And where we had, we were in this amazing theater, and you couldn't actually just go up on stage. You had to go through these like fire doors. It's like a big door, and you go through the door, and then another door to, you know, this old buildings, and they keep it from the fire not spreading. But then you had to go stand on the side of the stage, 
and then wait for the worship team to kind of wait for my right moment. And I was waiting for my right moment. And as I was waiting, I just could not think about the first word to say. Now, when you speak publicly, sometimes you want to encourage yourself to just think about the first phrase you want to say. And then from the first phrase, you're normally okay. It's the same as today. Like I've got my like first points there, get my first points, and then I can run. Like there, let's go. Anyway, I can't even think of my first points to say, but the band's coming up and they, and they that's like my moment, and I walk up to my moment, and it's like, and it really was like this. Blah 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 blah. Like I could, it was just didn't make sense. It was just weird, and everybody was. I could see that. Like oh, that's oh, that's awkward. That's just so weird. Anyway, I built every bit of courage that I had to that moment. God doesn't know what you've done, but Jesus does. And I build it to this moment. And um, at, at the top of my voice, as loud as I can, I build every bit of courage to me. I go, God doesn't know what you've done, but Jesus does. And George loves you. <laughs> yeah, funny, right? Yeah, real funny, real funny. In that moment, it was the most embarrassing moment of my life. I was supposed to tell them about Jesus' love, and now I'm telling them about George's love. Like it was just, and I'm like, no, just no way to save this. I'm like, I wish there was a sniper, just take me out. I, I wish the stage would just disappear. And I know it's not the devil that made that happen. Like, but it did feel like the worst moment in my life. I reckon even, I'm like, God, like, why, why? I reckon God pulled all the angels around and he said, boys, let's have a little laugh. Like, let's have a little laugh. <laughs> Anyhow, it's funny. I had to conclude. I had to walk out and I had to go walk into the section where you go from these fire doors to the next. And I stood in between these doors. Now, everything in me felt like I just want to run away. Again, we're in hindsight now, and it's funny, but in that moment, it was a real big deal to me. Like it was a thing that I've genuinely wanted, but in the moment, I was so embarrassed. And I really felt like it was the event, but I had a decision to make. And I made a decision, I'm gonna walk out there chest high, I'm gonna walk out with confidence and just make a joke about it. I'm not even gonna make it awkward, let's just do that. And the real funny thing is, the week after that, we were in Paris, and we, um, our pastor was looking after our Paris congregation was getting married. So pastors from all over the world was coming in, and, and my boss from Australia was in, and we were sitting around the table, um, just all the boys, you know? And um, the next second I hear my boss that I really wanted to impress, he goes, George loves you. And so my friends... <laughs> took a recording of the George Loves You moment and played it to my boss. So I'm like, again, sniper, floor, like just, I need it to end, why? And so that was, you know, it's pretty tough to take. Anyway, a week later, I wake up and my phone's lit up, like all the text messages from my friends going, George, we love you, George, we love you. And I'm like, this is so weird. So this pastor had gone back to Australia and he had a message and the punchline of his message was the George Loves You story. It gets better. The next day, I have a friend that came to me. He said, look, we're raising some money to build some homes in Uganda for orphans. And so would you be okay if we make George Loves You t-shirts and badges and stuff? I'm like, bro, knock yourself out. You, like, you might be able to buy a cup with it. Like, you're not gonna sell these t-shirts. Anyway, two weeks after that, we have our annual European conference, 15,000 people at the conference, and the opening message at the conference is the George Loves You message. 
Now, just before that, these guys did the first run of their T-shirts, and so there was people walking around everywhere with George Loves You T-shirt, and everybody wanted George Loves You T-shirt. They sold so many T-shirts that they built two homes in Uganda for orphans because of George Loves You. I know it's funny, but I promise you, if you were to take an event and make a decision, not out of pain, but made a decision of purpose, it is amazing what God can do. And sometimes we never know how long that time is going to take from that you are here until you're there. We look at Joseph's life at 17 years old. We think about all the things I just told you about Joseph's life. He came from a prominent house. He had a Gucci coat. He had a coat. He was prominent and he's in the palace wiping windows. And there are some of you that feel like God's forgotten you. And I'm here today to let you know that He has not forgotten you, but He's maturing something in you. And often we abandon our dreams. We prematurely abort our dreams because we get so dissatisfied where we are. Some of you are in positions and you're wondering and getting frustrated with, God wants to teach you something there. That moment in Genesis 50 would have never happened if Joseph didn't take each one of these events and made a decision every single time. About 16, 17 years ago, I lived in London and I got a call from my mom and my mom said, you need to pray. Your brother and his fiance, they were just about to get married, um, went river rafting and the boat tipped over and they can't find them. About an hour later, I got another call to say they found my brother. He's alive. They still can't find her. And about an hour later, I got another call to say that they found her. At the bottom of the river, she drowned. As the boat tipped over, the water sucked it down to the bottom. Her leg got caught in a rock. And because of the force of the water, she couldn't get back up. I jumped on a plane, quickly went to South Africa the next day, drove up to my brother. And you could just imagine the pain. You're about to get married to the love of your life. And I went with him the next day to where it all happened. And we sat on this big rock. And I'll never forget this. We were looking at this river and it just felt so surreal. Like just two days ago, they, they were there and she's not here. And I was watching my brother and literally the deepest pain I've ever seen anybody in. In the midst of his pain, he looks to me and says, George, I don't know why God allowed this to happen but he's gonna use it for something good. It, it really rocked me. Because in that moment, I was recently married. And I don't know if I would have made that decision. I don't know if I would have humbled myself enough in the deepest moment of despair to go, God, I don't know why this happened, but out of this event, I'm going to make a decision that one day, one day you will turn it over. Church, there is somebody here today that is feeling like that. You are in the biggest fight of your life. You are hurting. You have got pain. And you cannot see how God's going to turn this thing around. I can't give you a time. I can't tell you when. But one thing I can promise you that God is going to turn it into something good.
And as we grow older, I go, God, what is, what can we do as Christians to posture ourselves, to make a decision in a way where our posture lines up with your purpose? Because often people say about Joseph that he went from the pit to the palace. I think Joseph went from pain to purpose. The title of my message was, There is Freedom Through Your Knees. Church, I don't know what you're going through, but I think all you need to do sometimes is take a moment, surrender yourself to God and go, God, I trust you. And if we look at all the chains of events from Joseph's life, like his knees broke those chains. And there's some of you that are so bound up by the events in your life that's happened and these chains have caused you to be bound. I believe through your knees, you will see freedom. Church, all it takes sometimes before you go to a meeting, I do this all the time before I come out here. I don't know what you need. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. And so for me to come out here with confidence going, man, I've got a word, I don't know. And I would often just at the back of the stage, they just go on my knees for a moment and just go, God, I look to you and I trust you. Some of you are about to go in boardrooms this week before you go in your boardroom. I wanna encourage you, church, just go on your knees for a moment and shift your focus from the event to a decision that you're making that's ultimately going to determine where you are positioned. These decisions have generational impact. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. What you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now um, being done, saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and reassure them, um, spoke kindly to them. Generational impact is determined on your decisions. A.P. Fisher, the horse dealer, went through South Africa and started planting churches. He had a daughter and a son. Kathy went on to have all these crusades all over Africa, all over India, and literally saw millions of people come to Christ. He had a son that was called A.P. Fisher Jr. A.P. Fisher Jr. was a general in the army. They didn't refer to him as general, they called him pastor because instead of giving them commands, he showed them Jesus. A.P. Fisher Jr. had a daughter called Elizabeth Francina. From a young age, she knew that she was going to be a nurse and through her nursing, God was going to use her. Her husband, Andre, was a direct um, fruit of A.P. Fisher's churches that was changed because his, his families got changed in his church. They got married. See, this woman, Elizabeth Francina, led more people to Christ than most pastors would being a nurse because she had such a conviction that God can use her with whatever she is doing. They had a son and the son had a dream to come to America one day and repay the missionary that left his family to come to South Africa and change the genealogy of his family. And that son is standing in front of you today. Church out. 
how decisions, if you could just see the generational impact, every single decision you are making, you'd understand that God has got purpose and the pain. And if you would just humble yourself, He can use you. He can use you and you would never know. That happened in 1908. Here we are, 2020, more than 100 years later. Great, great, great grandson is still professing the love and the power of Jesus Christ because someone made a decision. What is the decision that you need to make? I've got a shield here for a moment. I'm just about to close here. and Just stay with me for one moment. This is the best shield I could get up with, but... Just imagine this being, and I really believe this is, a, this is a prophetic word. I'm almost, I'm kind of done with my message, but this is a shield, like a war shield. Like imagine like metal, like just like nothing can come through this shield. So this is a shield. Now what we often do is, is that we want to battle our battles with our shield. And so the Bible talks about armor and a whole bunch of stuff, and that's a whole nother message for another day. But this is how we fight. We have our shield, we have our sword in our arms, and we're like fighting, and then we're blocking, and we're fighting, and you know, we're kicking, and head fighting, and we're doing all these things. But this is what I believe God wants us to do. He wants us to put our shields down, get on our knees, position ourselves in a way where God is fighting our fights. See, the crazy thing is in our busy days and lives, we always think we know better, so we want to pop our, pop our head out, seeing where we're going. At that moment, the enemy has a right to cut your head off. We want to pick our swords up and we want to fight. God is saying, stop fighting. Let me fight for you. Get on your knees. Here's the next instruction. See, God is asking us to stay on our knees and trust Him. Trust Him that He will turn this battle into something good. And then there will be a time, and this is a word for somebody. Sometimes He's gonna say, stand up, I've conquered, I've won this battle. Now take ground, take ground, take ground. Okay, sit, another battle coming. On your knees, the battle's coming. I'm fighting, don't fight, don't fight, let me fight. And then He's gonna go, I've won this battle, get up. Take some ground and some of you need to make a decision that you're going to trust God. And when He says move, you're going to move and take some ground. Father, I thank You this morning that You are all powerful, Father. You are all powerful. Father, we put our faith in You knowing that You can take our failures and turn them into something good. Father, I pray for every single person here this morning. Father, You know who we're talking to. You know who You are talking to. Holy Spirit, I pray that You will convict them, arrest their hearts in a way that they will know that they can trust You with anything. Father, I pray as we think about Joseph's life that this will be such a strong encouragement to us that we need to fight our battles on our knees. Father, I pray freedom right now. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. God's in this place. 
Just take a moment. Just take a moment. Keep your eyes closed. Like, what is it that you're dealing with? What is that that you need your freedom from? I'm seeing in the Spirit right now these chains of event that hold you back are being broken today. No more. No more will the enemy keep us back because God's turned up today and He said, through my power, you will see the victory in the end. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen, amen. Let's give Jesus some praise. Church, all I can ask is don't go home and don't just take, without taking a moment to recognize what God did in your heart today. It will be robbery to go home and not just take a moment. Maybe that for some of you, you need to go home, lock the kids, put them in front of the TV and just go in a room, close the door and just for a moment, get on your knees. Some of you tomorrow morning have got some big meetings or things are going on. Just go on your knees.